Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Hurricanes head coach Jim Laranega. Coach, uh, thanks for being with us. Congratulations on the victory last night. Uh, thanks so much, Joe. I'm happy for Gino and the baseball team. High expectations, huh? Ranked number three in the preseason poll. Yeah, they got a lot of guys coming back. Went to the tournament last year. Gave that a good run. And uh, this year, I guess they played – last year you played with a lot of freshmen and sophomores, and this year more sophomores and juniors. And uh, uh, the Calvary came in as well, a good recruiting class. So, yeah, lots of expectations uh, for baseball, and that's, that should be fun. Well, I look forward to getting over there to Alex Rodriguez Park. Of course, you have to have a milkshake. Yeah, the milkshakes are great. <laughs> and then sit next to me and we'll talk baseball. Okay, I'm not too good with the baseball, you know that. <laughs> yeah, but your your high school basketball coach also coached baseball until he was what, seventy five years old? Oh no, no, no. Eighty two. Oh, eighty two. I shortchanged him. <laughs> he he pitched batting practice till he was seventy seven. <laughs> he told me one day, this is hysterical, talking baseball. Jack Kern is the winningest basketball coach in the state of New York history. And he's also the winningest coach in the state of New York's history in baseball. And he pitched batting practice every day until one day he said, I asked him, are you still pitching batting practice? He said, I can't. I tore my rotator cuff. And so he had to have uh, surgery on his rotator cuff. And that eliminated him from pitching batting practice, or he would have kept doing it. 82 years old, pitching batting practice. That's an incredible how about, story. How about this? I, I said to him, can you, can, you still, can you still pitch, or do they just hit you all over the place? And he said, no, they can't hit my curveball. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, there were a few curveballs in the game last night. It was a game of runs. Uh, you jumped out to a 16 nothing lead. I like that start a lot, by the way. And then led by 20 in the second half. And uh, both times Pittsburgh chiseled their way back into it. But it was a heck of a start for your team last night. It was 16 16- to, to zero in our favor, then it was 18 all. They went on an 18 to two run. Second half, we, we got up by 20, and then they came racing back. I think they got it to within four. Carlin Beverly, a freshman uh, who took um, Chris Likes' spot when Chris went out, uh, when he fouled out, Carlin Beverly really stepped up and played some major minutes and, and, made some really key plays for us. 
uh, how do you like uh, his growth? Because um, he's not bashful. He he wants to he wants to get playing time. Wants to contribute. I know he's got a lot of things to learn. But how do you see his development? Well, uh, the thing I'm most pleased with with both Harlan Beverly and Anthony Wong is their effort is getting better. One of the things that I'm sure no fans that come to the game can even, you know, recognize this because you got to see it in practice repeatedly over and over again. Guys will give effort for a while, and then they they don't. And the whole key for a freshman is learn how to play hard all the time. Make it consistently good. And both Isaiah and Harlan are doing better with the effort and that's earning them more and more playing time. Isaiah did some nice things yesterday, too. Uh, one time he drove baseline, and they double-teamed him, and he kicked it right out to Harlan Beverly, who kicked it to Sam Wardenberg, who kicked it to Cam Augusti, who scored along the baseline. So uh, I'd say a month ago, Isaiah wouldn't have kicked it out. He would have tried to beat the double-team and force up a shot and – either missed it or gotten it blocked. So Harlan and, and Isaiah are both making strides. Yeah, um, Isaiah also, you talk about uh, rebounding to your team, a lot about tracking the ball and the effort. He had two rebounds, one for sure in the first half, where he did track it from the wing. He forced a, uh, I think he forced a jump ball both times, but the effort was really good, which uh, leads into what you pretty much what you just said. Well, he, he is an aggressive young man. Um, he hasn't quite figured out how to score yet. You know, he was the Philadelphia High School Player of the Year last year, and uh, he was noted for his scoring. The difference between high school and college is how you score. And very much like another Philadelphia native, Jaquan Newton, Jaquan would always drive the ball to the basket and score in traffic over people. Well, um, Isaiah's used to doing the same thing. The difference is the guys in the ACC are a whole lot bigger, and it's very, very hard to make those shots. So he's had to learn and make some adjustments. And uh, but he's he's doing a nice job Uh, today. Joe, we we took the day off. Uh, because uh, Sam Wardenberg played 40 minutes, uh, DJ Vasilovich played 40 minutes, Cam Augusti played like 37 minutes. So we're very beat up and very tired. So all we did was work with some of the guys, and Isaiah Wong was one of the main guys. He and Anthony Walker, both freshmen, mm-hmm. both having a lot to learn, and – um, rather than having my assistants do it, since we weren't having a full practice, I just did it myself, and I just really enjoyed watching them try to learn and get better in terms of just pure effort. The uh, the game last night, uh, another unusual aspect, Chris Likes fouled out for the first time in his career. Yeah, and he didn't fell out with a minute to go. He fell out <laughs> no, with eight long, minutes to go. Yeah, long, yeah, a long way to go. You know, it's interesting too. Even in the scouting report, I wasn't sure how to word it. So I called Coach Caputo, who's our defensive coordinator, and I called Coach uh, Courtney, 
who is our scout team coordinator, and I said, I want to run this expression by you and see if you understand it. That a lot of times we say, like, Pittsburgh is either a pressure team or a pack team, meaning a team is, is a pressure team where they're denying passes and pressuring the ball. A pack team is someone that's really packing in the paint. So I asked Coach Caputo and Coach Courtney, I said, I want to describe Pittsburgh as a pressure slash pack team because they're very good at pressuring the ball, but when you get by them, they're very good at taking charges. And sure enough, Chris Likes fouled out because he charged twice after getting by his man. And you have to learn against those kinds of teams that try to take charges, you got to stop and find the open man. Right. You got to avoid the charge. I was going to uh, move that conversation a little bit with Chris also. And we talked about this, I think, uh, last week on, on, on this show about uh, the compliment that Duke paid uh, Chris. Really, I thought it was a compliment because of the way they, how hard they defended him. But now, now we're seeing that everywhere. Uh, Pittsburgh was almost as if uh, you mentioned pressure and pack. It was almost as if they were stacking defenders on top of him or behind him. Or uh, uh, if one, if he got away from one, then there was someone else. They were putting bodies, I guess is what I'm trying to say, putting bodies in front of him, a lot of bodies in front of him, which I find now to be quite interesting because it's starting to spread from team to team. Well, one of the things I, I may have mentioned this to you the last time we spoke, either on the air or in the office, our schedule as we've played some very, very good teams, but not only have we played good teams, but we've played the best defensive teams. Our, our uh, schedule of opponents is ranked number two in the country defensively. So if you take uh, Louisville, uh, Duke, um, the, the teams we played in the ESPN event, uh, Pittsburgh, Clemson, um, all these teams are ranked very, very high defensively. And when you combine that and compare it to the other teams around the country, our schedule was the second most challenging in terms of facing really good defenses. And Pittsburgh was right there. I think overall, Pittsburgh uh, was like a, a top 25 to 35 defensive team. But when you when you are that good and you've just finished winning at North Carolina, you know that it's going to be a challenge for us. And their record when they hold a team under 60 is absolutely incredible. I, I don't have that exact number off the top of my head. Undefeated. But it, <laughs> they are undefeated when they hold someone under 60, right? Yes. yes. And we scored 66. Right. Oh, you got to score in this league because these other teams are are so good. Uh, one of the things I was most pleased with last night was our defense. Well, I was going to get to that as well. Uh, you held them to three for sixteen from three point range and thirty thirty five percent for the game from from the floor. And that compares to what we did at Clemson when we won in overtime, where they were like six for twenty four from three. So. 
Our guys, now the problem is, Joe, and you know this, we're so beat up and we're not going very deep. We we need to keep the bodies healthy and we need to somehow give them rest. Mm-hmm. So today was a, a day off. Hopefully we'll come back and have a nice practice tomorrow because then we move on to NC State on Wednesday night up in Raleigh. Yeah, there, there are a lot of things to talk about uh, in terms of last night's game and also the schedule coming up this week, which uh, North Carolina State on Wednesday, then Florida State on Saturday afternoon at the Wasco Center at 1 o'clock. Uh, to go back to Chris for one moment, uh, he made a shot last night. I'm not sure if I gave it the proper justice because uh, how acrobatic it was. And looking at it a second time this morning, he made a, a move into the paint, uh, went around two defenders and somehow I think he started left came into the right side threw it up on top of the the backboard and got it to fall and uh, I guess teams are trying to make it hard for him to get into the paint yet he still finds a way to to uh, get through a thicket of defenders and and I know exactly the shot you're referring to he shot it off of one foot he jumped <laughs> off his left and threw it high off the backboard with his right and he needed to do that because Trey Brown is the fourth leading shot blocker in Pittsburgh history. And he's six eleven, seven feet tall, jumps extremely high. And he went after that blocked shot. And Chris was able to get it over him. And then the ball fell softly off the backboard and into the net. So Chris has always been small. So he's used to having to deal with that, that, major size of of big guys do you think teams are trying to more and more as you watch how they're uh now they're really revealing how they want to defend him right are they are they trying to take the pain away from him how what have you seen the most in terms of defending him now well there's there's several things we are seeing number one is teams are switching and and oftentimes trying to put a bigger guy on chris Number two, anytime he gets by his own defender and gets into the paint, the other teams are racing to take away his layups and try to make him a two-point shooter from, like, the foul line. And then lastly, they, they are playing him so physically and bumping him all the time, that becomes exhausting. And they're doing it at the full court level. They're picking him up full court, denying him the inbounds pass. So he has to use energy just to catch the ball and bring it, bring it from the baseline to midcourt. Hmm. So it's wearing him down. I can see it. We're trying to get him some rest, and that might have been one of the reasons he got in foul trouble last night. Um, you also mentioned Sam and his contributions. He played 40 minutes. For the second game in a row, he had 10 rebounds. And over the last, uh, I'd say, five, six, or seven games, he's averaging like seven points, nine rebounds, somewhere in that area. But it's back-to-back games where he's done a really nice job of rebounding in traffic. You know, the, I was talking to Coach Fisher about this today as to how much Sam has improved in terms of his effort. And, you know, we're working with Isaiah Wong and Harlan Beverly and Anthony Walker trying to get their effort up. But we did that for Sam Wardberg, and you're seeing the results three years later. Right. It takes these young men time 
to make the adjustment to the effort and physicality of college basketball, especially in the ACC, where you're talking about uh, playing against future NBA guys. Last year, Joe, we had like 10 first-round draft choices and 13 guys drafted, including Dewan Hernandez, one of our Miami Hurricanes. Yeah, the league was – well, the league was incredibly deep with talent, as it is all the time. And then, of course, uh, you're matching X's and O's, usually with some Hall of Famer on the other side. Yeah, I watched all those games on Saturday. <laughs> yeah. We were the only team that played on Sunday, so there were six games on Saturday. I watched Jim Beheim and and Tony Bennett in a chess match as Syracuse went to Charlottesville and beat them in overtime. But in regulation, the the regulation ended 45-all. Hard to get baskets against those two teams' defense. We we, we can review uh, some of those games, and and maybe uh, uh, you can talk us through some of the uh, situations on what coaches like to do. But what I did find humorous, and we talked about it yesterday in your office, was – uh, you, you got two great coaches there, Tony Bennett, Jim Beheim. It's overtime. They're struggling to get baskets. And uh, it was uh, Beheim's uh, son who threw up this desperation heave from nearly half court as the shot clock was expiring. And that ultimately was the big dagger in the game. Oh, it was. That was the – yeah, that – Virginia still had a shot. They were down four, but that shot went in with under a minute to go to make it seven, and uh, really hard to come back from that. So, and then I flipped channels. I flipped channels, Joe, and there I'm watching Clemson do the same thing at Carolina, a place they had lost 59 straight times. Oh yeah, there are a lot of talking points in that game. Um, before I let you, before we uh, go to the break and, and then come back and talk more about some of those other games. Uh, when, when you see a shot like uh, the one Buddy Beheim made, I guess uh, when you when you see it and it's your guy, it's one of those, oh, no, oh, great. And when you're the other guy, you've defended everything you can do. And the ball, I mean, 99 out of 100 times, that ball's not going in, not even close. Yeah, that, no, that's true. You, you can call it lucky, uh, but, but I think the game has opportunities – for you to be lucky. And the best way to be lucky is work really, really hard. Because you get opportunities, just things, strange things happen in the game of basketball. A tip in that, you know, a steal that, that, you know, that the ball got deflected and you were in the right place at the right time. And some of that is, is really luck. And Buddy Beheim was, was lucky he made that shot. But it counts three points just the same. Yep, it sure did. All right, we're going to take a break. We'll come back and talk more with University of Miami head coach Jim Laranega. Canes on the road this week in the middle of the week. This is a, a week of three games. We had, we had one last night, a win over Pittsburgh. Then on Wednesday at North Carolina State, Miami and North Carolina State under Coach L have had some great games. And then Saturday, Florida State comes here. Time change on that game from noon to 1 o'clock. 1 o'clock on Saturday at the Watsco Center. Let me talk to you for a moment about Williamson Cadillac. Well, 
if I'm at the game on Saturday, well, I'll be at the game on Saturday, but if I look to my right, right on the baseline, there will be Ed Williamson and his lovely wife, Carol. They're great supporters of University of Miami Athletics, great supporters of University of Miami basketball, and nobody knows the luxury car business better than Ed Williamson. And if you go into that dealership, into his dealership, it is pristine. And, of course, you'll probably see Ed or Carol, and they will do their very, very, very best to make you feel right at home. In fact, I was in there the other day. A customer came in. He said he was a repeat customer. And uh, Ed Williamson made sure, as all of his customers, he got first-class, top-shelf customer service, as you will all the time at Williamson Cadillac. You can visit their state-of-the-art facility. It's at US 1 and 104th Street, just south of the Palmetto Expressway. Or you can go online and view their entire inventory online at williamsoncadillac.com. I'm driving the X-T5. It's smooth, it's roomy, and it's quiet. You might also be interested in the Escalade, the X-T4, or the CT6. Williamson Cadillac, your premier luxury dealership, because Williamson is Miami. Now back to Hurricane Hotline on the home of the U. AM 560 and FM 96.5 HD2 WQAM. Driven by Williamson Cadillac. For value, style, and performance, visit Miami's premier luxury dealership. Click WilliamsonCadillac.com now. Here's Don Bailey Jr. and the voice of the Hurricanes, Joe Zagacki. All right, welcome back to the show. Hurricanes reigned in basketball last night, 66-58. to Red Lashley, Hurricanes' new offensive coordinator, joins Don Bailey and me at 7 o'clock. With us right now, University of Miami head coach Jim Laranega. Canes will head to Raleigh on Wednesday to take on North Carolina State. Well, actually, we'll head to Raleigh tomorrow and play NC State on uh, Wednesday at 7 o'clock. But Miami coming off a really nice win last night over Pittsburgh at the Watsco Center. And uh, Coach, uh, one more uh a little more discussion on the game last night. Cam McGusty again comes up big for you. He averages 17 points a game in your wins. He got 19 last night. No, Cam is having a great season. You know, Joe, it's 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 funny. We, I, I'm a great believer in in getting assists, and our goal has always been to get 16 assists or more. And when we do, we almost always win. Yet this team is better shooting off the dribble. Chris Like shoots better off the dribble. Cam Augusti shoots better off the dribble. And believe it or not, uh, DJ Vasilovich shoots really good off the dribble. And those are three of the top six scorers in the league off the bounce. So if you just rank the top, top ten uh, players in the ACC that make shots off the dribble, uh, DJ Vasilovich would be third. Cam Augusti would be like sixth. And um, Chris Likes would be fifth or seventh in that range. Mm-hmm. Well, DJ had a big basket last night where he was able to uh, dip and duck around his defender. One other unsung hero for you last night. Uh, he played, I think, the most minutes of his career, or close to it. Rodney Miller went almost 36 minutes last night, 7.7 rebounds. But I also thought uh, he made some tough rebounds and a big, tough uh, hook shot. But I also thought he helped you uh, break their press. He did a nice job getting to the middle of the floor. Well, we did not do a good job initially. Uh, Our guards were a little bit hesitant. And, of course, some of that has to do with Chris Likes. You know, he's the one that normally handles the ball against pressure. 
Chris is out of the game. Cam Augusty kind of, you know, try to take over there. But not until Rodney made himself available as a big target. We were able to throw him the ball regularly, and uh, he helped break the press. So he made a big basket. He made a big free throw down the stretch. So he had a very, very key contribution to the win last night. I wanted to uh, have a conversation with you about uh, game situations a little bit. We talked about some of the games over the weekend, and so I won't mention the exact games and the coaches, but suffice to say, these were Hall of Fame coaches faced with these situations, and maybe you can uh, take us through what the options are as a coach, what you're looking at, and the similarities would be that uh, in each of the games, uh, one side was up by three, Three points with under, let's see, under 20 seconds to go, maybe under 15, and each decided as defending not to foul, and it was they didn't foul, and both teams suffered from the, the opponent uh, making a three-point basket. So that's always that damned if you do, damned if you don't situation, right? Well... In one of the situations that you're referring to, uh, there was 12 seconds left, and and uh, the team on defense was electing not to foul. The team on offense has five guys who can all make threes, and they ran the play for their five-man. <laughs> and that guy ended up making the three-pointer and tying the game. And... Uh, it's really unbelievable how often, uh, if you don't foul, that some player will step up and bury a three. Coaches oftentimes believe so confidently in their defense, they tell the players, I've done this in the past myself, we only need one stop, we know we're shooting a three, contest the three, one miss, we get the rebound game over. The unfortunate thing is that, you know, you guys don't always play perfect defense on that one possession, even when there's only 12 seconds left. And that's what happened in that game. And it went into overtime and the team that made that, that three ended up winning in overtime. And then uh, the other situation, actually, I think there's a third game that I saw. Each of them had a possession near the end of the game. I think it was all in regulation near the end of the game. Uh, on offense going down the floor needing a basket and opted to play it out, not use a timeout. Uh, how do you view that on is – it is it a – it's not always cut and dry to use a timeout, right? I mean, sometimes you want to play it out. Well, here are your choices. And this is something I don't think color analysts really share with the listening audience all the time. In fact, I think most of the time what the color commentator on TV says, this is what I would do. A lot of them are former coaches. Right, yeah. Well, they can't lose over there. Coaches, <laughs> and they're former coaches because they're no longer coaching. So their decisions at the end of these games probably cost them their job. <laughs> but what they say is, this is what I would do. What coaches really do at the end of the games is what they feel like their team is best suited for. 
Like, I've had teams that if you call a timeout and tell them what to do, they're not great at executing what you tell them. They become very robotish. If you let them just play it out, they're really good at instinctively finding the right shot and the right play to make. So if you remember, Joe, I'm going to go back a few years. We played Florida at Florida, and Angel Rodriguez was a junior. It was our second game of the season, and Florida had a 33-home game winning streak. And there was just under 30 seconds to play, so the shot clock was off. It was our ball, and we did call a timeout. And uh, as the team went over to the bench, Angel Rodriguez comes up to me and says, just give me the ball and I'll score. <laughs> now, we were we were only down two. So, and then he started to walk away from me. And I called him back over and said, hey, hey, come over here. Hey, this is not just us throwing you the ball. We have to, like, run something that your teammates know what we're doing. They've got to know what you're thinking and what you're doing. And he said, okay, let's run the high ball screen and tell the the screener just to roll and give me a chance to go one-on-one. So I met with the staff. We all agreed. Let's listen to Angel. We, We went into the huddle, told the guys, this is what we're doing. And Angel went out, used the ball screen, took his man one-on-one and buried a three-pointer for the win. So that was a case where you call a timeout and it worked out great. But there are other times where, (laughs) and I've had this happen, call a timeout, we decide what we're going to do, and we go back out and the other team has, has changed their defense. They went from man to zone or man to a trap. Or zone to man to man, and uh, you've got to be ready for everything. And 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 the best solution is is let your players do what they're most comfortable with. If they're most comfortable calling the timeout and getting organized, great. If they're most comfortable in just playing it out, do that because more than likely they have the best handle of what is going to work. Yeah, I, I thought maybe you're, you you were going to say, but it's probably the same answer. The best solution is to have that guy that transcends all the strategy. Yeah, you know, we didn't call a timeout at Clemson because I stood up to call a timeout, and, and uh, DJ sh- shook me off and says, no, we've already called the play. <laughs> so if they know and they feel good themselves, all five guys. Now, we didn't make the shot. But at Temple, um, they did the same thing, and Chris Likes got fouled and made the three three free throws to win that game. So they ran the same play we did it at Temple. It just we didn't make the shot the second time around, but we did in the overtime. We ran the same play in overtime, and DJ made that incredible three. Well, I think it's a, it's a good conversation because I think a lot of times people think that you know the players are puppets and the coaches are controlling all the strings, but uh, at, at some point, you know, the players got to make plays. Yeah, I, I, if you remember in the NCAA championship game, Virginia, 
Uh, who are they playing? Texas Tech? Texas Tech, yeah. Uh, no, it might have been the semifinals against Auburn. Yeah, I think it was. So what happened is uh, Virginia was at the foul line at down two points and shooting one. So they're going to end up being down one no matter what with four seconds left. So they missed the free throw intentionally, and Diakite tipped it all the way into the backcourt. And when he hit it, the clock started. So there's only four seconds. Right. Uh, their little point guard, Kihei. Kihei, yep. He grabbed it in the backcourt, took a dribble, and instead of throwing it to their great shooters, Kyle Guy, uh, 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 Ty Jerome, or DeAndre Hunter, he threw it back to Diakite, who nailed the shot and put the game into overtime. So none of that can be planned. Everything is about the players instinctively reacting to the circumstance. Kie could have launched a mid-court shot. He could have thrown it to one of his other teammates. He threw it to Diakite, who in one motion caught it and sunk a 12-foot shot to tie the game and put it into overtime. And then in the overtime, they ran a play for Kyle Guy, and he elevated on a three and got fouled and made all three free throws for the win. Well, Kihei, he he's a heck of a little player. You showed some video on him earlier this year about his effort, and uh, uh, he's become a real spark plug for them. You know, Joe, you know what's interesting right now? Looking at the rankings, Virginia at one time was up in the top five teams in the country, and most recently uh, they, they've uh, – come out with the net, the new uh, NCAA basketball committee um, computer ranking. Right. Yep. And and Virginia's ranking now is about 68. They went from top five down to 68 after just a few losses. Right, yeah. Well, they lost it. But uh... our team, we, we played Illinois in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. We had them down 27 points. They came roaring back. They're now top 25 in the country. They're ranked 24th. Yeah, they they got a good win the other day. Rutgers and people, Rutgers is probably off the radar, but Rutgers has uh, some thought Rutgers would, would make the tournament this year that they've become, they have become a very tough team to play. Rutgers and Penn State are yeah. both having good years, and the team everybody was raving about in December – was Ohio State. They've lost four in a row. Michigan State, who was the preseason number one team in some of the polls, they lost by 30 at Purdue two nights ago. Yeah, they got really shellacked. So I think, you know, from what I see, Duke might be in a class all by themselves. Gonzaga's very good. Baylor's very good. Kansas is very good. And, uh, you know, I think Florida State is terrific. So, but teams are inconsistent. They don't play great every night. Uh, all right. Well, uh, speaking of teams that have been a little bit up and down, North Carolina State is 2-3 and three 
in the conference, but they're 9-1 and one at home. You've had some great matchups with North Carolina State. Last year, Chris scored, I think he scored 28 against North Carolina State at the Wasco Center. Uh, they're coming off. They're going to be uh, good and ornery because uh, they lost to Virginia Tech 72-58 to and did not shoot the ball particularly well. They were... Six for 30 from three-point range, but that's your next challenge. Another team that puts a lot of pressure on the ball. Yeah, actually, very, very fast team. They're um, fourth in the country in tempo. They they fly the ball up the floor. The biggest thing we're going to have to do is get back. As if they, they're, they're bigs. They have two big guys, uh, Bates who's about 6'11", a freshman who is – he is blocking shots at an incredibly high rate. And Funderburk, about 6'9", 10, 6'9", or 10, and and those two big guys run the floor as good as any big guys in the country. And Rodney Miller and Sam Wardenberg are going to have to get their track shoes on to get back. I had to take a double take at Manny Bates's blocks. <laughs> it's ridiculous. He has fifty blocks. Yeah, fifty. Fifty blocks. I, there was one in the Virginia Tech game <laughs> where the guy shot a fifteen footer and Bates was underneath the basket. He not only blocked the shot, he tracked it down and dribbled at the court. He was going to dunk it, and he lost the handle on it. He ended up having to pass it off to one of the guards, but. This young man is some kind of athlete. So when you have a, a shot blocker like that in the way, what are some of the marching orders to make sure that he's not swatting everything uh, when you try to get to the rim? Yeah, you got to be real careful, uh, the psychology of that. If the, the players are too worried about him shot blocking, they won't play their normal game. They'll start worrying about him and, not go to the paint, not not drive the ball to the basket, afraid of having their shot blocked. So uh, we'll we'll show our players video of him, show them how people have been successful against him. Uh, but the biggest thing for us is we can't turn the ball over. Uh, NC State is, I think, number one in the league at forcing turnovers. Um. C.J. Bryce has been in the concussion protocol, so uh, I don't know if he'll be available to play or not, but uh, he's their leading scorer at 21 points a game. Then Beverly is a really nice player, and a guy that's played pretty well uh, against uh, against you has been uh, Markel Johnson. A couple years ago, he had a bunch of assists, and I think last year hit a bunch of three-pointers. Uh, he, he is their uh, orchestrator, and Johnson is as good a clutch player as there is in the league. Uh, C.J. Bryce, I, I, I think, will play Wednesday night. He's he's recovered from the um, concussion. And Braxton Beverly uh, is kind of NC State's version of D.J. Vasilovich. Uh, so it, it's a tough matchup uh, on the perimeter. Those those three guards of ours versus their three starting uh, guards going to be uh, tough on both teams. And these guys, uh, they also have um, becomes a common theme here recently. Uh, but Thunderburk and uh, and Beverly 
both played at uh, Hargraves Military Academy, which is a which is an extra year. Basically, it's a year between high school and college basketball. So uh, both those guys are a little bit older as well. Yeah, as you as you mentioned uh, when we played Louisville, how old they were, and now now we're looking at a, a NC State team that Braxton Beverly and Markel Johnson are you know veterans, and Thunderbird has been around now. Uh, they're very very good, very talented, very fast, very athletic, press all the time, force a lot of turnovers. They'll shoot the three, but the the thing Johnson does better than anybody in the league, and I don't know if you know this expression, but when he uses a ball screen, mm-hmm. he snakes the ball screen, trying to kind of stop and get you on his hip, get you on his back like NBA guards do. And um, believe it or not, we, we run a lot of ball screens, Joe. Oh, I know, yep. And NC State, uses more ball screens than we do, and so does Pittsburgh. <laughs> it's James Johnson. He's a former assistant of yours. He stole the ball screen ideas. Yeah, J.J. was with me both at George Mason and Miami. Great friend, great guy, doing a great job for Kevin Keats and the NC State Wolfpack. Uh, last thing before we let you go, uh, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but you mentioned Florida State. They do come here Saturday at 1 o'clock. So, one, it's a rival game. Two, we'd like to have a nice crowd, so I didn't want to mention it. But that'll be another big game. It's a very big week for you uh, with uh, NC State and Florida State. Yeah, three games in seven days, not easy for us. And uh, uh, Florida State they, – Maybe it might be Duke, but it may be Florida State has the most athletic team in the conference. Size, speed, run and jump, talent—they are are as athletic as they come. And uh, they play at home against Virginia on Wednesday night. Mm-hmm. So that's a contrast in styles. Will Virginia be able to slow Florida State down? Or will Florida State turn Virginia over with their pressure and be able to get out in the open court and score? Well, uh, before I let you go, who do you like tonight in the championship game, LSU or Clemson? Well, I like Miami. I wish our (laughs) Miami football team was in the national championship because that's really the only football team I have a cheer for. (laughs) Uh, But with – Clemson of the ACC versus LSU of the SEC. We got to go with with Clemson because I think it means more money for us. <laughs> I'm not sure about that. Football is different than basketball. Basketball, March Madness, all that money uh, is basketball related. I don't know if football divides it like like we do in basketball. Uh, I'm not sure you either. Know that? No, I don't know. I'm not quite 100 percent sure. I think uh, they do share the money. I think the conference gets more money because Clemson is in the championship game. So I think all the money's already now in the bank. But I think Clemson's going to win. I think you know it's tough to bring down a champion, and um, I think Clemson just got they they realize what they're playing for again. Uh, it's going to be tough because LSU is basically at home, and uh, I've been in that Superdome. Uh, against the SEC team, and the results weren't so good. But I think Clemson is built to win that game. Well, 
again, I, I don't follow football closely enough. I, I, I don't know all the nuances and the styles of play, but I do know as a coach how important your preparation is. And I think a lot because football so different than basketball. The, 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 uh, semifinals in football were two weeks ago. You got two weeks to prepare. Yeah. In in uh, the NCAA Final Four, the teams play on Saturday and Monday. You got like one day to prepare for the most important game of the season. So it's very, very different, a very different approach. But because of the timing and give, be, given to, be given two weeks to prepare, I think that's what separates coaches and teams that if you can come up with a game plan and then execute that plan uh, based on your personnel versus their personnel, your strength versus their weakness, can you exploit it? And if you're, you know, if you run the football against a team that's great against the run, uh, that's more challenging than being a running team that is facing a team that doesn't defend the run. They might defend the pass really well. Right. But you tell me, Joe, what is Clemson's strengths going against an LSU team that won the SEC? Uh, Clemson's strength is their quarterback and getting the ball to an explosive running back. Plus, they've got so many athletes uh, on the uh, in their secondary. I think they can match up with LSU's strength, which is the passing game. LSU scores a boatload of points, but it's all about the passing game to set up their run game. Well, then the whole key for me, again, not being uh, that intelligent about football, look at one category, time of possession. Who keeps the ball the longest? Because if Clemson can keep LSU on defense, LSU's high potent offense doesn't get to be on the field very much. That's right, and that's what Clemson can do. They can keep them parked on the sidelines. So I'm going I'm That'll going. That'll be Clemson. the whole key. All right, well, we'll talk about it on the bus tomorrow. All right, Joe. All right, Coach. Thanks very much. <laughs> Best breakdown of the uh, of the night, Coach Larinaga, talking about LSU and Clemson. All right, let me uh, talk to you quickly about Williamson Cadillac. Williamson Cadillac has been a part of Miami's unique community for over 52 years. That's because Ed Williamson knows everything there is to know about the luxury automobile business and about customer service. And uh, through those 52 years, it's been their pleasure serving this community with the same essence that represents the people who live here because Williamson is Miami. I'm driving the X-T5. Right now you can check out the Escalade, the X-T4, the CT6, or the X-T6 with three rows of luxury in stock and ready for delivery. You can go online at williamsoncadillac.com to check out the inventory or go to the their state-of-the-art facility, conveniently located at US 1 and 104th Street. That's just south of the Palmetto Expressway. Williamson Cadillac, your premier luxury dealership. Williamson is Miami. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. 
Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.